There's a difference between do it yourself and do it for a living. At the Home Depot, we get that. And we're here to help pros get the job done with the products and brands you trust. Technology to keep your job on track. Job site delivery to save you time. And bulk pricing on over 4,000 items every day to save you money. When you've got a job, we're on the job. The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Truly embracing your complexities means rejecting anything that can harm who you are. Like smoking cigarettes, which can damage nearly every part of your body. Tap the banner to see more. This free life. Freedom to be tobacco free. Time to take the next step with Looney Libis. Step five, the lean startup. The first four steps you can do in an hour, maybe two. This step is going to take you weeks, maybe months, maybe even years. It's called the lean startup. And it's actually an old story. So if we roll back the clock, let's say 30 years, back to when I was a first-time entrepreneur, well, we started companies differently back then. What we did is we did a bunch of market research. We'd go out, we would talk to customers, maybe 10, 20, if we were doing great, maybe 100. Remember, these were the days before the web, right? So we would have these conversations with customers, and then we would go back, we would make a best guess at what, what it was that we thought that they wanted, and then we would build it. And that process would take, you know, six months if it was really fast, but normally it would take about a year. And you would build your product, and then you would ship it out to the world. You would launch it, is what we called it. And then really you would hope that it worked. And you can see this. It still happens today, right? So we can see operating systems, right? Apple comes up with a new operating system once per year. Microsoft used to do it every other year. Car companies. They do a bunch of research, they come up with a brand new car model, they do a big launch, and they hope it succeeds. This is what we generally call the waterfall model. It's the old-fashioned way of doing business, and I highly advise that you don't try and follow this model, because what happens more often than not is that you're wrong, that these ideas that you had, that you thought were the, were the needs of the customers, turns out to be not exactly what they need, or not, a, not what they need at all. And then you've wasted a year, maybe two years, trying to figure that out before you have a chance, if you're lucky, if you have enough funding to try again, to try again. All right, so Steve Blank, many years ago, 10 years ago now, came up with a book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany to explain why this was wrong and how to fix it. Steve Blank, he's like me. All he does these days is help entrepreneurs. He teaches at business schools. He writes books and so forth. And so he wrote this book, and it explained why the old model didn't work and how to tweak it to make it better. And don't take notes on this part. Just listen. What he said is the problem is that we're jumping in to create the product and the company too soon, that we shouldn't do that until we have a much better, much more proven idea of what it is we need to build. Right? And he called this the customer development model. The story goes that Steve was about to invest in a new startup. And he made it contingent that the founder of the startup come and take his class. He didn't want that, fa- that founder or anyone else that he was investing in to make these old-fashioned mistakes. So he brought this student into his class. His name was Eric Reese. Eric sat in the class, and he said, Steve, you almost have it right, but really, you're not going far enough. And so Eric sat down and wrote what's now called the Lean Startup. 
not lean as in skinny, but lean as in doing the least amount of work to get the most out of the effort. This is based on the lean principles that have been proven by Toyota in their manufacturing and copied subsequently by every car manufacturer on the planet. And it goes like this. The purpose of a startup is to find a product or service that customers will buy. So a startup is not a small version of an established company. A startup is something different. At an established company, the employee's job is to come in and serve the the current and next customers. At a startup, you don't have current and next customers, not when you're first getting going. And even when you have a few, you still don't know if you have a product that enough customers will find valuable. It's your job running a startup to figure out if that's true. And what Eric said was, it's all well and good to talk to customers. You can actually talk to potential customers all day long. You can, as Steve keeps saying, get out of the building and go and talk to real people who might be your customers. But you know what? You're never going to get the right answer from them if you're just asking them, is this the right idea? Is this something you might buy if I built it? Problem is, that's generally what we call market research. And the problem with market research is that people don't want to hurt your feelings. They're not going to give you their full feedback, their their full attention. They're not going to tell you the whole truth until you're asking them to buy. So what Eric came up with is what he calls the minimal viable product or the MVP. And this is a term you you hear all around town and in startup cities like mine in Seattle. MVPs come in three forms. Form one is an actual smaller version of your offering, of your product or your service. The minimum feature set, the simplest thing you could possibly offer. You build that, you get it out to customers, you ask them to buy it, and if they say no, you ask why. Actually, in this case, the yeses are not that important as the noes. So the yeses are great because then people are going to pay you, but the downside of people paying you and saying yes is now you have to go deliver. Now you have to go and spend some of your time operating your company instead of finding out what you're doing wrong. And no doubt you're doing something wrong. All right, so most of the people, however, are going to say no at this point because you're asking them to turn over actual dollars or euros or yen or quacha or whatever. So for all the people who say no, as often as you can, you want to ask them why not. What is missing? What, What am I not doing that you need? Am I not solving a problem that you care about? Am I not solving a problem that's high enough on your priority list? Or is the solution that I'm offering just not something that you're interested in at all? That is the key information you need because the no's tell you what you're doing wrong. An example of this is the first company I started mentoring when I started mentoring, which is Stockbox Grocers. Their idea at the time was to solve the problem of food deserts. These are neighborhoods that don't have grocery stores. And the solution was to take shipping containers and drop them in parking lots and run little tiny grocery stores out of these shipping containers. We thought this might be a good idea, but we didn't know because we had never seen any company like this in the world. So what did we do? Well, we rented a shipping container. We got a contract with the company that delivers groceries to grocery stores. The founders got permission to drop this in a parking lot in a food desert. And they took turns running the store themselves so they wouldn't have to go through the the big hassles of hiring staff and training them and overseeing them and so forth. And this permission to have the shipping container in the parking lot was just for two months. 
And since we knew it was a trial, since we knew we were just there to test out the idea, we did things that you normally wouldn't do in a company. We, we went around trying to find out if people even noticed the building, why they were not going in, because we wanted the nose, right? It wasn't the people who were walking in the building that was of interest to us as much as it was the people who were walking past the building. So we wanted to get to them. So we would go and run surveys at the, at the nearest bus stop that was within sight of the, of the building. And we understood what the buyers were buying and what the non-buyers, the non-customers, where they were shopping and what they were looking for. And that was a great 60-day test, cost almost nothing. And from that, the company launched its first real store. Version two of the MVP is slightly different. Version two, you pretend to have built the product that you need because maybe you don't have the resources to do it, but you make the website, you make the video, you do everything that you would do to launch the product except actually build the product, and you go ask customers to buy. Now, the, for the customers that say yes, now you have a bigger problem. Now you have to turn around and build the product, or you just have to disappoint them. And sometimes that's the right answer, right? It sounds, sounds crazy, and it, it sounds a little unethical. But look, if you have a product, and let's say it's going to have 10,000 customers this year if it succeeds, but you don't know exactly what it needs to succeed. You don't know exactly what features it needs to do. You don't know exactly how the service is supposed to work. So you go out and you talk to 100 customers. And let's just say you're doing great and 10 of them say yes, but 90 of them said no. Well, it's much better to disappoint the 10 people and build the product that the other 90 people want than it is to go and spend your time delivering the 10. So. How do you do this? Well, sometimes you just fess up and say, well, you haven't built it yet. We'll give it to you in six months. Sometimes you, you kind of fess up and you say, well, our credit card system isn't working right now. We'll get back to you and we can take your payment. Sometimes you just tell them the truth that, you know, it's really just market research. We're thankful that you want this product and we'll give it to you when we have it. In fact, we'll give you a discount for causing you all this trouble right now. Sometimes you'll actually upset potential customers and lose them. As long as there are thousands of potential customers, you can live without the first 10 or 20 or 100. So a great example of not having the product is Arrow Airlines. So this was a company I discovered when one day on GeekWire, which is the local blog for tech startups in Seattle, there was a story about Arrow Airlines, and it pointed to their website. Their website was two or three pages long at most. And it described this interesting service. It was a B2B. It was a business-to-business -business airline. So consumers couldn't go up and buy a ticket. You had to subscribe as a business to buy tickets and to fly only from Seattle to San Jose. That's the only route that they were going to fly, at least to start with. And they had a picture of their airplane, which was Photoshopped. So it looked like a professional airline, but they hadn't actually bought an airplane. All they had done was set up a three-page website, and most importantly, they had a partnership with an existing airline because you can't launch an airline in the United States without a license, but you can partner with an existing airline to use their license. Great. So our airline launches one day with basically a press release in this story in GeekWire, and they discover what? Well, they discover that one airplane wasn't going to be enough. They discovered that a lot of companies wanted their service, but most importantly, what they learned was that the structure of the deal they were putting together wasn't actually going to work for them because nearly every one of those subscribers wanted to fly on Mondays and Fridays because there happens to be a large workforce that commutes between 
the Bay Area around San Francisco and Seattle, and they wanted to just come and go on Mondays and Fridays. So they learned they needed a totally different kind of airplane, 737s instead of little airplanes, but they also discovered they needed to totally change their business model, and they were able to do this without spending much money at all, right? Without launching the product, without having to serve a customer, without having to buy an airplane. And the third model is what Dropbox did. I presume you use Dropbox, right? It lets you share files out in the cloud with other people and and with your other machines. Okay, well, Dropbox was in the very first session of the very first modern business accelerator. And that program was 12 weeks long. And although Dropbox seems like a rather simple product, there was no way that the programmer, because it was just a team of two at the time, there was no way that the programmer could get that idea and turn it into a prototype in 12 weeks. So you know what? They didn't. Instead, what they did was they focused on making a video to describe what Dropbox would do if it existed. And we're talking 12 years ago before the explainer, the the one or two minute video was common, right? Before Kickstarter, before basically the modern version of startups. All right, well, they posted this video on a one page website and they put a field on the bottom that said, if you're interested in signing up, give us your email address. And that's it. So two, three minute video, you can probably find it on YouTube. It's not on the Dropbox site anymore and a call for an email address, which again is a pretty common thing to do today and was very uncommon 12 years ago. And the result? Well, something like 30,000 people gave them their email addresses in 12 weeks. And since the founders knew that it was going to take tens of millions of dollars to get Dropbox off the ground, and ultimately it took a few hundred million dollars to get Dropbox to the scale it is today, now it's a public company, well, since they knew they were on this path to go get venture capital, really all they needed was interest in their product. They didn't actually need 10,000 paying customers. The interest, the 30,000 people who wanted this product was then proof, the proof that they needed for venture capitalists to fund the company. And so that, that served as the MVP. It served the purpose that said customers want what they're building. And then they could go off and build it, and then they had a mailing list to get people to sign up. So your job, is to find the MVP for your idea, your solution. What is the smallest thing that you can build right now with the resources you have right now and go and launch it tomorrow, next week, next month, right? Three months, as soon as you can possibly launch it. And so there are two things to worry about. Minimal viable product. So the first thing to worry about is minimal. Don't make it too big. Don't make it too small. Your job is to try and figure out exactly what this product or service needs to do that customers might actually consider buying because the second part is viable. The second part means that customers are willing to pay you money for it. Now, it doesn't have to be, at this point, it doesn't have to necessarily be enough money to run the company. The exercise here in launching an MVP is to prove that people care, to prove that there are customers for what you're doing. All right, so your job is to launch your MVP and learn from it because the last thing that, that Eric codified in the Lean Startup is that this is just step one. What you need to do as a startup is to iterate through a cycle. Come up with a hypothesis of what you think the customers want. Build it and launch it as quickly as you can. Put something into that launch that measures the result because the next piece is then to learn from those results 
and to come up with the next hypothesis. It's to understand that probably what you're doing is flawed. You probably don't have exactly the right product, and you're going to iterate and iterate and iterate as quickly as you can to learn what is correct or learn what is less flawed, in fact. So how quickly is quickly? Well, a few years back, I was at a meeting here in Seattle when the person who set up the Facebook office in Seattle was boasting that Facebook launches every Tuesday. And they don't relaunch the entire service. They don't change everything every week, but they change some things every week. And some of those things are, in fact, only changed for 10% or 20% of the population. So even even if you're an avid Facebook user, you're not going to see a whole lot of changes every week. But the point is that they are trying experiments every week to try and understand their customers. And I don't know how often MySpace was doing this, but I'll bet you it wasn't every week. I'll bet you that one reason why Facebook passed them up is because they learned about their customers probably five times faster. Right? Maybe MySpace was doing this, doing this on a monthly cadence. It might have even been a quarterly cadence, in which case Facebook was learning you know, 12 times faster than MySpace. Well, that was said in the room, and someone in the back of the room yelled out from Amazon and said, yeah, but we launch every six seconds. This explains why Amazon is such a fast-growing company, because they've put so much effort into iterating and iterating and iterating to make their products better. If you look at Amazon's ethos, their corporate culture, you'll see that Jeff Bezos' favorite expression is welcome to day one. Day one, as in, they're still a startup, they're still learning, they're still trying to figure out what customers want, and their primary focus is on making their customers happy, while at the same time striving to lower their operational costs so that they can charge the least amount to those customers as possible. And now it's your turn to try and get on that bandwagon and do the same thing with your company. Next week, we'll talk about opportunity size. Until then. Lowe's knows you'll do it right to refresh your home indoors and out. We do it right, too, with savings during our Memorial Day sale. Like $15 off gallon cans and $45 off five-gallon pails via Lowe's gift card rebate when you buy select interior and exterior paint and stain. Get top-selling Valspar paint starting as low as $4.98 after rebate. And load up on appliance savings with a Whirlpool laundry pair for just $858. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 529. U.S. only. See store for details. Lowe's knows you'll do it right to refresh your home indoors and out. We do it right, too, with savings during our Memorial Day sale. Like $15 off gallon cans and $45 off five-gallon pails via Lowe's gift card rebate when you buy select interior and exterior paint and stain. Get top-selling Valspar paint starting as low as $4.98 after rebate. And load up on appliance savings with a Whirlpool laundry pair for just $858. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 529. U.S. only. See store for details.